Margie, I'm really looking forward to our discussion today where we're going to focus on the deals environment and talk about how tax can help companies prepare for a potential transaction. That's right, Julie. We are all interested to hear about the deals market. So let's talk tax. You're listening to Tap into Tax. PwC's podcast series covering current regulatory, legislative, and technology hot topics through the lens of our technical leaders, as well as process and technology subject matter specialists. This podcast features discussions with some of our leading minds around tax, trade, and domestic policy. Stay tuned to our regular updates and subscribe to our series to get notified as new episodes are published. Hello, listeners. This is Julie Allen. I'm PwC's National Tax Services Market Leader, and I'm joined today by Margie Dunjashaw, PwC's U.S. Tax Reporting and Strategy Leader, and Gina Nam, a PwC partner in our merger and acquisition group who has been involved in some significant M&A transactions and subsequent integrations over many years. So Gina, welcome to Tap Into Tax. Thanks for having me, Julie and Margie. So Gina, let's level set. Will you tell us about the overall deals environment and what types of transactions you are seeing and what's happening on that deal front right now? Sure. Um, After a little bit of a slowdown over the summer, um, we're seeing an uptick in transactions, um, as well as a number of different types of deals. So we've been seeing less of the so-called mega deals we saw last year. These deals are transformational in nature, often doubling or tripling the size of the acquiring company, and they allow expansion into new markets, new products and channels. So, But instead, we're, we're seeing more tuck-in deals with a focus on acquiring or expanding on new technologies and innovative products, especially in the med device sector. So according to the recent PwC M&A integration survey, more than two-thirds of tuck-in deals were pursued to have access to these new technologies. So I'm also seeing more of the so-called absorption deals. The economic slowdown and the depressed valuations is moving some companies to double down and acquire targets within their industries, oftentimes their direct competitors. I'm also seeing a lot more interest in the non-traditional creative deals, such as collaborations, cross-licensing, R&D funding agreements, alliances, JVs, as well as private investments into public equity called pipes. They're often structured as preferred investments. So these types of deals, are not they're not full-on acquisitions, and they typically involve us in 50% ownership interests. They provide diversification and helps minimize risks for buyers. So while they can help buyers limit their risk, the tax analysis for some of these deals can get complex. Uh, The accounting treatment of cash outlays, treatment of options, you know, potential being partnerships and withholding tax, to just name a few. And also with the economic shutdown, there's a lot more activity in the area of distressed debt. We're helping companies restructure their debt And we anticipate that we'll be seeing quite a bit more heading into bankruptcy. Gina, that provided some excellent clarity and really helps with some of the mixed messaging out there that there is deal activity picking up, but it's not the same type of deal activity that we were used to seeing during 2019, much less in the mega deal space. So yes, there's deal activity, but it's much more targeted and a different size. And Margie and Gina, I would agree 
the deal activity I'm seeing is different than what I would have expected at this point in the pandemic. I was expecting more in the bankruptcy area. And I think Gina highlighted that we're expecting to see that coming. But I have seen a lot of companies focusing on refinancing for the long term, really positioning themselves for an area of growth and making sure that their financial position and their ratios are strong versus heading right into that, what we would have expected with bankruptcy. So I think we're seeing a really good balance of companies pivoting and making their financial position work for what they're expecting right now and the growth that they want to be positioned for in the future. So with that, let's dig a bit deeper. Gina, are there some top level trends that are taking the spotlight right now? Yeah, as noted in the PwC M&A integration survey, there's a real focus on the value that acquisitions should deliver for buyers. There's a higher buyer now. The process of integration has always been challenging, but it's more important than ever now to realize the full synergies of a transaction. So a well-planned and successfully executed integration plan is key to unlocking business synergies, both revenue and cost synergies, as well as tax synergies. So the survey shows that a few companies do this well. With more pressure to realize synergies in the current environment, there's a ton more pressure on the tax function to unlock tax synergies. For example, in the pharmacies, I've heard some tax directors touting that achieving just two points on the ETR is equivalent to the next blockbuster drug. So framing it this way helps mobilize the resources within the organization to help execute on the appropriate tax structure. So implementing specific tax structurings that achieve benefits usually requires business purpose. So oftentimes an acquisition and the ensuing integration activities provides the best opportunity to rationalize and execute on these structures. Also, with increasing pressures on companies from worldwide taxing authorities, sometimes tax synergies may be captured when substance in certain jurisdictions is acquired through absorption deals. So for example, one of my clients after an acquisition was able to migrate their offshore IP, which was sitting in a haven jurisdiction with very little substance into their target's uh, Swiss principal structure. And they were able to build on that existing substance, securing uh, an extension of a favorable holiday, well positioning themselves into a more sustainable offshore structure. A problem companies facing these days is executing integrations in a virtual environment and dealing with uncertainties in the debt market. So I've heard several companies that were poised to execute spinoffs or IPOs this year, but having to defer them to the next year or outright abandoning them. And some are delaying some closings of some of the acquisitions due to the pandemic. Gina, I think that overview of just your focus on the process of integration and the heightened focus on capturing those tax synergies and seeing the benefit from them. And then I think this last part of you talking about what are the difference that we're seeing with spinoffs or IPOs is really key. And we can see that the pandemic is driving some of the expected outcomes that we may not have known or seen would occur. You know, we may not have foreseen that those would occur. But Gina and Margie, I'd like to pivot for just a minute maybe from the process of integration and the tax synergies and really focus on the critical role that the tax function has always played when it comes to M&A transactions. What are you each seeing changing on that front? And is there anything that is different due to the pandemic? Tax plays an integral part of the team because in most cases, tax determines how the transaction will be structured. I've seen divestiture deals get signed up without involving the tax function and then complaining why their tax bills are so high. Involving a tax function during the planning stages is key to executing tax-efficient structures for both acquisitions and divestitures. Companies uh, have more free access to offshore cash due to tax reform. 
there's, you know, oftentimes traps for the unwary, withholding tax, hybrid dividends. So treasury and tax would need to work in lockstep to move um, cash where it's needed uh, efficiently. There's more pressure for tax to be prepared to provide uh, real-time data to the C-suite and how the transaction would impact the business, such as the impact to ETR. The delivery of information has become much more challenging, particularly given the interdependency of various new provisions. As you know, 163J, guilty, beat, FDII, etc. So modeling capabilities are easy to rerun with new parameters are becoming much more critical. We also have a number of recent law changes due to the pandemic, such as new considerations under the CARES Act that need to be examined during due diligence. For example, if a company acquires an entity with a PPP loan and the buyer is claiming employee retention tax credits, does that mean the buyer must forego these credits? Given the affiliation rules and potential reputational risk, a lot of my clients are forcing the targets to repay their PPP loans as a condition to closing. In addition, companies need to keep a close eye on the presidential and congressional elections. Depending upon the election outcomes, the tax policy landscape could change dramatically. For example, proposals to increase the corporate income tax rate and other tax proposals, if enacted, could negatively impact the deal values. I'm seeing a lot of similar things with my clients. So more than ever, the tax function must be ready to partner with the business from the very beginning. So when a decision to pursue a transaction is made, tax has been involved. Tax also needs to make sure that they are agile so they are meeting the needs of the C-suite at the pace that the C-suite needs them to run. Tax functions are also having a multitude of competing priorities right now. So engaging in an M&A transaction is going to add to the stress and workload that the department is already experiencing. So it's critical that the tax processes are efficient enough to be able to take on this new workload. So tax must have an organizational design and data sourcing model that enables automated, standardized, and streamlined processes so they can rerun all the calculations that are necessary as factors in the deal negotiations change. So a great example that I've seen is when companies are implementing small automations to help them re-perform calculations at the speed of decision-making. Gina and Margie, these are really helpful insights. I think particularly your focus on using that scenario modeling to provide real-time data to the C-suite and then having tax partner with the business from the beginning are key and important. What else can the tax function do to prepare if their organization can be embarking on an M&A transaction, such as an acquisition or a divestiture? Yeah, I think one of the most important things that the tax function can do in preparation for either a divestiture or acquisition is to have a dynamic tax model that can handle the various inputs to model the impact of such transactions. This requires a ready inventory of tax attributes and working very closely with the finance, treasury, and business deal guys to be able to dynamically model the various cash flows and the tax impact. So in the past, uh, when doing acquisitions, you know, pre-tax reform, you could have easily done cash tax modeling in a vacuum, considering only the target cash flows. But post-tax reform, modeling is so much more complex. For example, we've seen BEAT and other issues come up surprising the deal folks, significantly diminishing deal value. So planning for both the structure of the transaction as well as a subsequent integration of the business, including integration of the tax function, needs to start way early, as early as possible with strong collaboration across functions. 
on one of my current deals, we're having much more touch points, more frequent interaction because the team is entirely virtual and, and that's, you know, unexpectedly is enhancing our productivity. The tax function should consider the vitality of its current organization structure. Are all legal entities needed? Should a, a legal entity rationalization study be considered? Tax should be prepared to formulate a detailed integration strategy well before the deal is inked. A good place to start is thinking about systems integration. A whopping 91% of respondents in PwC's M&A integration survey noted that integration activities relating to systems and processes were the most difficult. This is typically the elephant issue in the room. For example, the company may want a candid review of their ERP system and how tax is leveraging data within that system. Is the ERP system scalable for a new acquisition? Is an ERP transformation on the horizon, such as implementing a cloud version? Could an acquisition be an opportunity to pursue more tax-ready data from the ERP system? In addition to all the items that Gina's suggesting, I would add that tax should also be considering its core capabilities in this virtual environment. So first, an M&A transaction is going to require an incredible amount of collaboration between various functions within the company. So not only what do they need to calculate, but how are they going to get through the process itself? What is the plan for how the tax function will communicate with its own teams, with third-party service providers, as well as other departments in the company during the deal process itself? Is the company leveraging digital solutions for effective remote workflow, collaboration, and project management? So similar to what you're experiencing, Gina, we are hearing that teams are trying to overcompensate in this area. Nobody wants anything falling through the cracks, and the result has been some good upticks in productivity, frankly. Second, the tax function will likely need to increase its interactions with the C-suite for an M&A transaction. You won't be crossing paths in the hallways. So how are you going to be intentional and purposeful about those communications? And is tax ready to present reliable data in a visual format to support the decision making? Then are staff within your department trained to use data visualization technologies or some training needed? Third, tax should take a candid look at its own controls and governance procedures. How well did they work in 2020? How well did they work in a remote environment? So tax needs to pause and examine how its own controls are functioning and are their own controls ready given the organization's risk appetite before asking the target to adopt them. Last, how is tax preparing for the high tempo close and post-close periods? Can they rapidly address purchase accounting? or consolidate calculations and reporting. And frequently, they're doing these activities under tight timeframes, in addition to other items like stub period returns and all the extra surge work that comes on top of their historic responsibilities. So tax really needs a robust plan so they can produce a steady, controlled environment during these high-tempo periods. Margie and Gina, I completely agree. And I think the things that you've highlighted here are exactly the integral parts of a deal transaction and what we need to do to take it from that first pass at doing a deal all the way through implementation. You know, you highlighted the importance of collaborating across all functions, of not underestimating the difficulty in integrating these systems and then having tax really function on its core capabilities 
and making sure that they're overseeing those core capabilities and informing the C-suite or informing those who are doing the financial reporting, making sure that they're integrating there to have them well-informed about the tax issues that we're seeing. I think that all of this lays in nicely to make sure that not only are companies well-focused on what's happening in the deals environment, but taking that all the way to accurate tax reporting and then completing it with making sure that on the front end and the back end, they're really reaching those business goals and doing that in the most tax efficient manner. So thank you both for sharing all of your great insights on this topic. There will be more to come on this topic as we watch the economy, the elections, you know, the resulting tax policy decisions that are unfolding. All of these are going to have an impact on the deals environment. So thank you, Gina and Margie, both of you for your time today. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. We look forward to speaking with you soon. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.